This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. Every day we hear Christian catchphrases, a kind of Christianese, if you will, made up of slogans, compressed ideas about God or faith, that we drop into everyday conversations about life. Catchphrases like, the devil made me do it, or Jesus, take the wheel. And after all, what would Jesus do? What do we really mean when we say that? Well, let's take a look at some common Christian catchphrases and what the Bible has to say. For out of the overflow of the heart, his mouth speaks. As we jump into this new series, Catchphrase Christianity, we're going to, uh, in a fresh way, discover just how true those words of Jesus's are as we examine sayings that we use every day. There's plenty of these to choose from. Isn't there? Uh, in fact, even if you're not a, a, a Christian, uh, you probably have heard some of these sayings. You might have even used some of these sayings without realizing it, uh, that they were a Christian catchphrase. Personally, I didn't know how many that there were until I started researching them for uh, this series. There's classics like, more of Jesus and less of me, right? Uh, there's little beauties like um, sometimes God will put a Goliath in your path so you can find the David within you. <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, and, <laughs> my new personal favorite, uh, you've got to faith it till you make it. <laughs> Ooh, that's a bad one. Anyways, but listen, we're going to consider one today. It's not even on that spectrum. We're going to talk about one today called hashtag blessed. Hashtag blessed. Now, the first time I, I specifically remember coming across this slogan was actually in a movie. It was in Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. As you can probably deduct from the title, uh, little 11-year-old Alexander uh, isn't having a very good day, uh, in, especially in comparison to his older siblings, Anthony and Robin. And there's a specific scene where the family is clustered around the breakfast table one morning talking about how their days are shaping up that really drives this home. In fact, let's take a look. Peter Pan is going to be awesome. Okay, today Mr. Brand said that I'm the most poised and elegant Peter Pan he's ever had the privilege of working with. No way! Wow, when is that again? Well, hello, it's tomorrow afternoon, okay? Of course. Please be on time and don't be embarrassing. Best behavior. Honey, please don't embarrass me. Dad, that includes you. I know. Dear honey. Guys, guess you're getting crowned Duke at the prom tomorrow. Really? Congratulations. Yeah, I mean, it's not official, but Celia heard from a good source. It's kind of crazy. I'm dating the hottest girl in school. I'm getting crowned at prom. Once I get my license tomorrow, I kind of have everything I've ever wanted. And hashtag blessed, you know? (laughs) Apparently, hashtag blessed means getting everything I ever wanted. I know some of you are thinking of a couple of teenagers in your house as you are watching that, that clip. But, but listen, I think, I don't know who wrote that line, but I think they nailed it. They just nailed it. That's exactly how we 
think of this slogan, how it's oftentimes used. And I think if you were to go back through your life or maybe some of your Facebook posts and so forth, you wouldn't be surprised to find you using that phrase in that way. And in fact, you don't have to include the hashtag to use blessed in the same way that Anthony here in the movie does. In fact, I would argue that blessed is the most common Christian tag that we use. Many times, uh, Christians and non-Christians alike, they talk about being blessed with a good job, a good spouse, healthy kids, that sort of thing, right? Or other times, if circumstances kind of work out in your favor, but in a slightly surprising way, you call it a blessing, Okay. Uh, around the 4th of July, we oftentimes talk about how blessed we are to live in America. And we throw out a few God bless Americas, you know, for good measure. And then around Thanksgiving time, we start counting our blessings of our cars, our home, our, our food, and, and so forth. It, this is incredibly common. And since it's just one word, I'm sure we've used it in lots of contexts. But I think it's safe to say that this version that says, I got what I wanted, is the most common understanding of blessed. It's easily the most common way that it's used. But I wonder how that lines up in light of how the scriptures use the term blessed. Certainly, there's examples in the Bible of God blessing people with kids and with wealth and so on and so forth. Um, But is that all there is to it? Is that all there is to it? I don't think so. And this morning, we're going to look at how the scriptures use the term blessed. I think we're going to see a couple of things. First, that blessed is a term that is deeper and richer in meaning than we've realized. Second, that how we've used blessed actually might be tipping our hand uh, to an issue in our hearts. And the third, I think we'll realize that we might have missed some blessings and perhaps mislabeled some others. So let's dive in this morning by taking a closer look at how Jesus uses his own hashtag blessed in our Father's word in Matthew chapter 5. Go ahead and turn there with me. Matthew chapter 5. This passage, it's probably the most famous place in the New Testament where the term blessed is used. In this passage, we have Jesus. He's been teaching his disciples and the crowds, and he's been teaching them in Galilee up on a, a little mountain. And, uh, and so that's where it get, gets its title from, the Sermon on the Mount, this passage and some ones that follow here. And, and this passage and this Sermon on the Mount has been the inspiration behind some of the largest changes that have ever happened in our whole world. And it functions here, though, as the Magna Carta of the Christian life. It's describing how followers of Christ are to live in a sinful world as his ambassadors, showing people what this new kingdom that Jesus is establishing is to look like. You can see this understanding reinforced by uh, how uh, several of the chapters have parallels with the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy spelled out the covenant between God and the people of Israel and reiterated it as they were entering the promised land. And the people of Israel were being reminded in Deuteronomy of the, the blessings of following the Lord and the trouble that they would experience in the land if they refused. Deuteronomy established then how the kingdom was to operate. 
And Jesus takes and uses this blessing trouble language uh, to talk about how life in the new kingdom that he's inaugurating uh, and will someday bring in full is to work. And so in a very real way, he's saying, listen, here's how things work around here now, okay? Here's how this works in my kingdom and what I consider blessed. So we pick things up in verse 2. We read, And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Start unpacking this by just considering first the word blessed, because Jesus seems to be operating here under a somewhat different idea of what blessed means than we tend to. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time imagining somebody uh, taking to Facebook to say, I lost my job today because of my faith. Hashtag blessed, right? I have a hard time seeing somebody sitting around the Thanksgiving table saying, ah, Man, I'm just so grieved by the sin in my life. I'm so grieved by the sin around me. I'm so blessed. I, I, I doubt I'm the only one that has a hard time imagining that happening. Yet, depending on how someone's making those statements, wouldn't they be in keeping with how Jesus is using this word here? So I wonder what we're missing. And this is the first question, in fact, that actually we need to solve. What does it mean to be blessed in Jesus' new kingdom? What does it mean to be blessed in Jesus' new kingdom? The kingdom that Christians are to be a part of right now as his ambassadors. Well, in this passage, Jesus uses the word makarios, which we translate as blessed. This word is various forms. It's used hundreds of times in the New Testament, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And so there's lots of examples to draw on. And yes, in some of those examples, they look similar to how we use blessed as God blesses someone with his favor and results in health or, or wealth or, or something along those lines. And so yes, by all means, a believer can look at those things in their life and, and call them blessings. But if you're paying attention... In those passages, you'll see that there's something deeper going on than just these surface-level results. If blessing stays at that surface level of just doing somebody a good turn in life, as it were, uh, as we typically use it, it really starts to struggle, you know, as waters get deeper. Because after all, this term in the Bible, it's not just used of, of God to man, but of man to God, right? The, the psalmist oftentimes cries out, bless the Lord, Oh, my soul. Pastor Dan just quoted that. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. You know, as a kid, I can remember reading that line and thinking, how can my soul do something nice for God? God doesn't need anything. (laughs) It didn't fit with the way I typically thought of 
blessing. And in light of how it's used specifically in this text, it deals with something more than God just doing something nice for us. So what does it mean to be blessed in Jesus' new kingdom? Well, here's how one scholar put it. To be blessed means more than happiness. It means to be favored and approved by God. I think he's spot on. That's how Jesus is using this term here. He's, he's saying, listen, in my kingdom, here's someone who is approved and favored. And that's the definition that we need to adopt. Blessed refers to someone who is approved and favored by God in the new kingdom. That's what's at the heart of the blessing in the scriptures. In the Old Testament, God is saying, here is someone who has my approval, someone who I'm giving my favor to. And that favor in those passages may or may not result in some kind of material or health benefit. For the, for the psalmist, when he's using this term, he's calling on his heart to say that God is approved. God is right in all that he does. He is good in all his ways. He's what I favor. He's what I want to give my praise to. And here, Jesus is saying, look, here's someone who is approved and has the favor of God on them. Here's the favor that they're going to experience in their life. Here's someone who is blessed in my kingdom, in my way of doing things. And if that's how the scriptures would have us understand this term, then what does it mean for how we're using blessed? Well, I think first it means that we haven't grasped its depth. Blessed means something deeper and richer than we've realized. Uh, when I was thinking about how to you know, best talk about the way that we use blessed, I was reminded of uh, that old Venn diagram from seventh grade English class. I don't know if you guys remember that, but you uh, draw two circles uh, filled with two ideas. And where those circles overlap, you write down how these ideas are similar. And where they don't overlap, you write down how they're different. And so well, let's think about this. At first, how are they similar? Well, on our best days, we'll use blessed to recognize how someone is experiencing a tangible display of God's favor in their life. As in, I got a, I got a job. You know, what a blessing. I'm, I'm marrying the guy of my dreams. What a blessing. I'm sure that's what my wife said. And, um, or we bought a house after 18 attempts. <laughs> We've finally been blessed. <laughs> At best, that's how we use these concepts, and they're similar. But here's the thing. Why does our concept of what blessing is then stop so long before we ever get to any of the items on Jesus' list of what he considers blessed. Why is it that our list looks nothing like Jesus' lists here, and we wouldn't put a single one of these things on our list at Thanksgiving time? What's the difference? Well, here it is. They have a different set of standards for what is approved in life and ergo what God's favor should look like. In other words, our concept of blessed stops short of Jesus' list because it's still being formed by the standards, the values of the old kingdom of this world. And it's struggling to be transformed by the standards and the values of the new kingdom that's being established by Jesus. Think about it, friend. We struggle to think of being poor in spirit, persecuted, 
meek, mourning, and so forth, as blessings, because by this world's standards, they're not. They're not approved. That's not the way we want to do life. They're not everything we want. Blessings according to the kingdom of this world, they look like Anthony's list, right? They look like a driver's license, a pretty date, and being the duke at prom. In other words, everything I've ever wanted. In other words, power, comfort, and significance. The values of what's approved by this world's standards. Everything we've ever wanted. But when we look at that, and we judge it then by what's considered blessed, and that's why the world can share in this. The world announces what's blessed. It announces approval on all kinds of actions and attitudes on a lifestyle of someone who has anything but God's approval. And actually, what oftentimes is being counted as a blessing in those situations may not be examples of God's favor, but of someone preparing to reap his judgment. So listen, Christians. If Jesus' version of a blessed life doesn't sound too familiar or too interesting to us, then aren't we tipping our hand to the standards, the values, our attitude, our allegiance towards those of what really matters to us? For what blessed, for what approved, and what's favored in life, what that really looks like? Aren't we tipping our hands to what we really want. As A.W. Tozer reminded us, though, Jesus never uttered opinions. He never guessed. He knew and he knows. His words are not as Solomon's were, the sum of sound wisdom or the results of keen observation. He spoke out of the fullness of the Godhead. And his words are the very truth itself. He's the only one who could say, blessed with complete authority. For he is the blessed one come from the world above to confer blessedness on mankind. And his words were supported by deeds mightier than any performed on this earth by any other man. It is wisdom for us to listen. And so listen, church, we need to take this passage seriously and not just shrug off, you know, how we're using blessed. Instead, we need to reframe it in our minds so that we recognize and we embrace and we celebrate the life with God and others that Jesus declares is approved and favored in the new kingdom. We need to do that not just for ourselves, but we need to do that so we set an example for our children of what blessed really looks like. We need to do that so that we influence our neighbors and our coworkers, our friends, our relatives, and others with what's blessed as ambassadors of a new kingdom that's displaying what blessed really looks like. And we start doing that by adopting this new definition for blessed, and we start using it like Jesus does. So let's consider, how does Jesus describe someone who's blessed? How does Jesus describe someone who's blessed? Let's get clear on that so that we don't continue to miss or to mislabel what Jesus identifies as blessed in life. To do that, let's look back at the text here. Uh, When we read this passage, it's very easy for us to think about peacemakers or the meek or those who mourn as standalone ideas, individuals here. But the structure of this passage with its repetition The very concepts themselves actually won't let you do that. The passage is written to be taken as a whole. The first half, verses 3 through 6, shows us who is considered blessed in relation to God. 
The second half, verses 7 through 10 here, they show us who's considered blessed in relation to other people. And then Jesus ends here with this capstone statement, verses 11 and 12, where he changes his audience to drive home his point. (laughs) He makes it quite clearly. Taken together, it shows us who Jesus is describing as approved and blessed. And starting in verse 3, he describes someone who is first poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. Which means that the starting point for someone who is being approved by God begins with them recognizing that they are spiritually bankrupt. They are spiritually bankrupt. They are poor in spirit. They bring nothing to the table when it comes to this. As another pastor pointed out, there's no room for a spiritual middle class in the new kingdom. You're either still banking on having some credit from living a mostly moral life. If you are, that won't work. Rather, blessed is someone who is poor in spirit. On top of that, verse 4, we see it's those who mourn. Again, these are building on top of each other, and so one informs the next. This is referring to someone who is grieved by how utterly bankrupt they and everyone else are spiritually inside and out because of sin. That's the cause of this grief, which sets us up for verse 5, for someone who is meek. Someone who has been humbled in light of their sin. They are no longer playing the spiritual comparison game that says, I'm better than Jerry, so that's why God should approve me. (laughs) I'm better than Susie, and that's why I should be experiencing his favor in these ways right now. They're not doing that anymore. They've recognized their sorrow over their sin, that before God they are as bankrupt as everyone else, and it draws them away from this inflated view of their own greatness, which leads them to instead to Verse 6, to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Listen, we hunger and thirst for what we need but do not have. That's what we hunger and thirst for. And here, in the new kingdom, this is someone who is considered blessed, who's considered favored, someone who knows that they're not but desires to be made right before God. Do you see how the first half of these statements, they fit together for a description of someone who is blessed in relation to God? Do you see that? Because let me tell you, the world doesn't. The world doesn't see it that way at all. Uh, The world looks at this list and says, this is a person who is suffering from low self-esteem. They need to learn more how to accept themselves. They need to work at seeing themselves as too blessed to be stressed by this sort of thing. The Bible looks at that and says, baloney, baloney. You couldn't esteem yourself. You couldn't judge yourself hard enough, (laughs) low enough. But you can accept God's judgment of you. And then by faith that Jesus has borne that judgment on your behalf, that he's paid it all for you, that he has received the curse on our behalf so that we might receive the blessing on his. After all, Let's not miss the other half of these texts. Because for this person who has recognized that they are spiritually bankrupt, having grievously sinned, been utterly humbled, where they are now longing to be made right, we're told that their standing in the kingdom of heaven, verse 3, is already certain. 
That someday their grief over their sin, their brokenness will be over. They will be comforted. For those who are low and humble today, they will receive all. They will inherit the earth. And their desire to be made righteous will be satisfied. Friends, that's someone who's blessed, who has been approved and who has been favored by Jesus in the new kingdom. It's someone who has been saved. There are present here than blessings that are deeper than what we ever typically think of. They're blessings that can never be taken away. And this understanding of who Jesus says is blessed, it should be reframing how we actually see what is blessed in life and what we see as a blessing. Perhaps you and I, we need to be more thoughtful and evaluative in our life when we look at things and we examine whether or not this is a blessing, whether or not we are experiencing God's blessings Perhaps some of us have wrongfully evaluated our life and decided that we're not experiencing God's blessing because we can't tangibly see it or we can't tangibly feel it. So we've evaluated this wrongly. One way to evaluate this for ourselves is to simply ask yourself, if this kind of blessed life that Jesus is talking about, if it interests you, and let me suggest That if just now it's starting to pique your interest, that maybe you've miscounted some blessings and mislabeled some others in your past. But the more that you understand of who Jesus is and what he approves and what he favors in his new kingdom, it'll change how you look at your life. It'll change how you tell the story of your past and what you describe as a blessing and what you don't. Now, to fully grasp this, we need to finish the description that Jesus is giving here of someone who's blessed. Because again, we're to take this as a whole. And as we do, we see that what naturally follows for someone with this kind of relationship with God is in verse 7, that they're merciful. After all, if you're progressing by mercy and not merit, it follows that you look at others with mercy in mind. Um, verse 8 advances this to being pure in heart. This is someone who's longing to obey God's commands in life where I have a right standing with God. They want to live out that righteousness with others. Verse 9, we see that they choose then to be serving as peacemakers, where in their obedience they help other people be reconciled to God and to one another. And finally, verse 10, Jesus describes this as someone who is persecuted for righteousness' sake. They suffer in this life for pursuing what God declares to be good, even in the face of the world's values. And let me be clear on this. It's not that they pursue persecution. That's not the point. But they forego instead the comforts of this life when they contend for the righteousness of Christ. And at this point, Jesus makes then the the capstone statement. He says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. You know, church, uh, as I was spending some time meditating on these verses and the description that follows, uh, it caused me to pause and to think about the way I've evaluated my own life. Because to be merciful you have to have been wronged legitimately. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever tried to be a peacemaker, it usually involves pursuing some very difficult, some very unpleasant people. 
And to get pushed around and mistreated and slandered for Jesus' sake here, that's painful. And I've experienced some of that before, and I imagine some of you have as well. And you can join me in saying that that's tough. But Jesus says that I'm to look at this by his standards and consider that blessed, approved, and favored. And if Jesus is calling a lot of hard things blessed, then I had better fix real clearly in my mind ahead of time why he does that. Why he does that. So why is this someone who's blessed? Thinking about this reminded me of another passage that A.W. Tozer wrote, picturing it this way. He said, there are two kinds of ground. Fallow ground, a ground that has been broken up by the plow. Fallow ground is smug, contented, protected from the shock of the plow and the agitation of the harrow. Such a field has stability. Nature has adopted it. It can be counted upon to remain always the same safe and undisturbed. It sprawls lazily in the sunshine, the picture of sleepy contentment, but it's paying a terrible price for its tranquility. Never does it feel the motions of mounting life nor see the wonders of bursting seed because it's afraid of the plow and the harrow. And direct opposite to this is the cultivated field that has yielded itself to the adventure of living. The protecting fence has been opened to admit the plow, and the plow has come as plows always come, practical, cruel, businesslike, and in a hurry. Peace has been shattered by the shouting of a farmer and the rattle of machinery. The field has felt the travail of change and has been upset, turned over, bruised, and broken, but its rewards come upon its labors. The seed shoots up into the daylight, its miracle of life. New things are born to grow, mature, and consummate the grand prophecy latent in the seed when it entered the ground. Nature's wonders follow the plow. There are two kinds of lives also, the fallow and the plowed. Friends, if God has approved and favored you in opening up your heart to the reality of his son, Jesus Christ, and he has blessed you to experience the plow, to show mercy, to live purely, to be a peacemaker to the lost, and yes, to suffer on his account, then don't miss this. Why is this someone who's blessed? Because his reward is yours. The joy of a plowed field is yours because new life, a new kingdom, a new way of doing things is springing forth in you and from you. New life. The joy of verse 12 is yours when Jesus said, rejoice and be glad. Why? For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Friends, don't just identify the blessings of someone living for Jesus but embrace them, celebrate them, surprise people with how you talk about it. I guarantee you, Jesus shocked his audiences with the way that he talked about blessing here. In fact, when he ends his teaching here in a couple chapters, it says that the people were astonished. And for you and I, when we call out persecution on the account of following Jesus, for the hardship that it is, and recognize the blessing that God has in it for us, it will not only refine us, but it will demonstrate the new kingdom of Christ. Don't make 
Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemaker. Blessed are the persecuted and so forth. The blessed life that you would rather not experience. Don't make the mistake of the fallow field and trade new life for avoiding hardship. If you do, you'll never know the joy that follows from receiving the approval and the favor that only a heavenly father can give as he looks at your life on the account of Jesus Christ. And he says, blessed. Don't miss that. Let's pray. God, we thank you that your blessing in our life is not based upon our merit, but it is based upon your mercy. We thank you that the blessings in our life are not because we are rich in spirit, but because we are poor and have been recipients of the wealth of your son, Jesus Christ, that only upon his behalf are we accepted, are we able to look forward to a kingdom of heaven, to being called your sons and daughters, to being able to recognize the rewards. It's all been by you. Through your son, Jesus Christ, we thank you, God, that our blessing does not depend on ourselves, but it is dependent upon throwing ourselves on you for our approval and our favor that it would come through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And God, for those of us in here who have looked at our past, have looked at our story, and we have written it off as a life that has not experienced your blessing, I pray that you would reframe it and help us to embrace and to celebrate and to recognize the blessing that you were sowing in the midst of a plowed field, that we would be able to look forward and we would be able to see the new life that is shooting out of the places of brokenness in our life, and that we'd be able to celebrate the fact that you are good and that you have blessed us. I pray that in your holy name. Amen.